When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What? What's? I'm Robert Evans. Know. This has been Behind the Bastards, a podcast <laughs> opened. Has poorly. been? Are we? Are, is that it? Well, that was the whole episode. Yeah, that was the whole episode. Yeah. You want to try? You want to try again? <laughs> no, yeah, Tom. Yeah. We, don't, we don't do second takes. <laughs> the amateur operation you run, you might do things like second takes and proper oh, introduction. God, no, no, no. But no, here no, we no. just go. What's atonally, and then trail off for several seconds of dead air. Yeah, there's no <laughs> like the pros. <laughs> oh man that's called cinema verite tom mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's how that works <laughs> i know what that term means what what is this is this a show what's happening <laughs> this is behind the bastards episode two on our episode about the men who built the right-wing media landscape and are 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 consequently ratcheting our world ever closer to calamity tom ryan robert Mm-hmm. is your yep. name it is of, oh. of all the Ryman's I know certainly the Thomas and uh, absolutely and perhaps yeah. the Rymanist of the Toms that I know um Tom you are co-founder co-host of the gamefully unemployed podcast network which people allegedly on yeah. patreon you write for collider and you are mm-hmm. about to listen to a lot of really really unpleasant clips of people that are just yeah, not yeah. very nice I, <laughs> I woke up this morning and I was thinking man 
I hope before the sun sets on this day, I get to hear a bunch of shitheads have mm. terrible opinions. Tom, <laughs> I heard your prayers <laughs> and I am here to answer them. I texted them to you. Mm-hmm. You, do, you I do, do that every with night. With all of every- my prayers, <laughs> yeah. I just text them to you. Yeah, and it's they're, they're usually a lot more erotic than this, but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take it. Tom... It would take years, uh, by some counts more than a decade, before Joe Pine would have a true successor. He was so far ahead of his time that it was not until the 1980s, he died in 1970, that the media landscape was truly ready for someone to pick up the torch seems like the wrong word. Like the no, it seems cross. like the right word. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it seems it. like but the, the tiki torch. Word. Yeah. <laughs> the first man to follow in his wake was Wally George. Have you heard of Wally George? Mm-mm. No, okay. and I usually I'm usually pretty up on my Wallies. So yeah, no, no, he's not. Of all the Wallies, but one of the most consequential of the Wallies. <laughs> so George Walter Perch was born on December fourth, nineteen thirty one, in Oakland, California. His father owned a small shipping company. His mother, Eugenia, had been a vaudeville performer and a child actress in Hollywood. She'd starred in westerns opposite cowboy actors whose names have apparently been forgotten to time because they were not Val Kilmer and Tombstone, so who gives a shit? Mm. Wally spent most of his childhood in San Mateo, but when he was in high school, his parents divorced, and his mother moved to Hollywood where he finished his education. Tom, who was the, who was the, who was the sheriff in Deadwood? Uh, Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, Timothy Oliphant. That's the other one. That's the other cowboy. Val Kilmer, Timothy Oliphant. That's all That's you it. need. Those are the only That's two cowboys. Sam, Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott. Yeah, of course, Sam Elliott. So um, you're talking about Sam Elliott in in The Hunt for Red October because he's honorarily a cowboy, even though he never got to live out his Montana dreams, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. No, that's yeah. Sam Neill. That's Sam Neill. Jesus Sam Christ, Neal. Tom. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. How those did are, I do that? Those are two very different dudes. <laughs> Extremely. <laughs> now, I'll say this. I'll bet Sam Elliott appreciates ducks, too. Sam Neill sure. has a duck that's his best friend. I bet Sam Elliott has, has loved a duck or two in his life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cared for a duck. He, he looked, those eyes look like a duck has brought a twinkle to mm-hmm. him once or twice. Yeah, yeah. yeah Half sure. been. You can't yeah. smile the way Sam Elliott yeah. smiles unless you've been friendly with a duck. Yeah, there's, there's a duck in that <laughs> life, I can tell. Yeah, there's, a, there's a duck in that man's heart somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> so Wally spends most of his childhood in San Mateo. Uh, but when he's in high school, his parents divorce. And that's... Not common in the 40s, right? It's got to be no. not a great marriage for that to be happening in the 40s. Alternatively, maybe it's two parents who are un- uncommonly aware of how bad a toxic uh, union can be for a kid. I don't really know what the case was. I'm going to guess it was a really uh, unpleasant situation, judging by the probably. I don't becomes. Yeah, I don't think I don't think no fault divorces exist yet existed yet no. in California. No. So you had to like sue for like a reason. Yeah. Yeah, you had to fist fight a judge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had to, to get like, that fight through. to get a divorce. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so his mother moves to Hollywood, uh, where he finishes his education. Uh, he was immediately drawn to the entertainment industry. Obviously, uh, his his family's involved in it. Um, at age fourteen, he gets a gig working as a DJ at an AM radio station in Glendale. Prior to this, Wally had been a stutterer, just like Joe Pine. I do find that interesting. Both these guys are dudes who stutter when they're kids. Um, he credits his first radio gig with curing him. He kind of like overcomes his speech impediment on the job. 
um, which I did with carpal tunnel syndrome. Now, he subsequently worked at bit gigs at other local radio stations. He held ambitions to write for television. And in his early 20s, he did write one episode of the TV show Bonanza. Okay. All yes. right. Way he to go, Wally Bonanza. George. <laughs> Good work, Wally. I'm, yeah, that's after, a real TV show. After we listen to, after we listen to this, after we record this, I'm going to have to go watch that episode <laughs> and see, see if anything pops out to me. If there's anything problematic about <laughs> Wally George's episode of Bonanza. So, is there anything problematic about an episode of Bonanza? <laughs> it's the one. It's the one Bonanza episode that in that in the middle has a seven minute rant about Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> <laughs> so Wally got his first radio show, the Wally George Show, on KTYN FM in Inglewood. I was trying to do my radio voice for that one. It came um, across. Yeah, thank you, Tom. I thank love you. how not imaginative any of these people are. It's always no. either just the My Name show or mm-hmm. the My Name report or the My Name file. That's the only thing they have. Yeah, I think there's a degree of it that's just like, look, you, you're going to move. As we, we saw with Joe Pine, it's not uncommon to just spend like a year or less at most of the places you work. You're moving around all the time. You're trying to build brand recognition. So at, mm-hmm. at least you want people to like know your name, you know? Yeah. Um, and to be fair, everybody doesn't, they don't say let's watch tonight. So the tonight show, they say, let's yeah. watch Carson. Let's watch. Leno, yeah, let's watch you know? Carson. Let's watch Leno. Let's watch. Uh, no, there's no one else. Anyone. That's watches. it. It stopped. Yeah, that's it. It's done now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I have no animosity towards Stephen Colbert, but my God, late night TV is just a horrible idea. Um, we should know that now we should accept it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it needs to go. Craig Ferguson needs to be allowed to take it out behind a, a barn and shoot it. <laughs> that That's who should do it. <laughs> Craig <laughs> crying like the boy in old yeller yeah, as he loads his dad's shotgun. I'm sorry. I have to Johnny do this Carson's to shotgun. <laughs> I never wanted this for you. <laughs> so uh he gets his first show in 1969 which is the year before joe pine dies um and yeah he goes through you know he does like the uh, they all do he runs through like a series of shows on different networks he produces and co-hosts talk radio programs one with la's then mayor sam yorty for like nearly a decade um so he's in like talk radio for a while but kind of a respectable turn of talk radio um he starts his own radio show and it does well enough that he's able to uh in 1970 He starts his own talk radio show again. Um, And this one does well enough that he's able to launch his own TV show off of it called Hot Seat, which first airs in 1983 at an independent radio station in Anaheim, California. Now, 1983 is a year before Rush Limbaugh started his first political radio show um, and a decade before the first episode of The Jerry Springer Show in 1991. Hot Seat with Wally George would include elements from both of these later shows. From an article in Timeline, quote, George had a way of riling even the most collected and intelligent guests. In his first year, for instance, George invited then-ACLU lawyer and later journalist Jeff Cohen to talk about police brutality and surveillance of lawful, politically motivated organizations. At first, Cohen's responses to questions like, why do you want to handcuff the police department from catching criminals, seem prepared, choreographed. But after a few minutes, the interview intensifies. Both raise their voices. The audience clatters and gesticulates. George interjects with an age-old challenge. I have nothing to hide, so what do I care if police watch me? The audience brays with joy. But for all his cruel bravado and personal attacks, George consistently stumbled when the tables were turned. His ideology was full of contradictions. In one episode, he spits, I say Martin Luther King does not deserve a national holiday in his name. There are many more Americans who deserve it a heck of a lot more. So, 
That's the kind cool. of guy he is. We're, yeah. we're no longer like the genteel playing it being polite kind of guy. Um, he's he's very much a recognizable sort of right wing media figure. Yeah, he's uh, in he's November. Yeah, keep, keep, keeping it uh, authentically asshole. Yeah. yeah, keeping it authentically asshole. Um, in November of 1983, Wally earned his first national news story when he so irritated his guest, Blaise Bonpain, a, a pacifist and a human rights activist. I mean, that name rules. That is a good name, right? Now, the short version of the story is that Blaze got angry and flipped Wally's desk. He had to be escorted out by security. That Nothing like this has really sounds on like TV. something a person named Blaze would do. It does. It does, because he's a Blaze, man. He's right. full of fire. Sounds like an American gladiator. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to flip it's your specifically desk. Like, <laughs> Wally gets a, like a pacifist activist to flip his desk to on flip tv his desk what this has never really happened before this is like a huge deal like this is the first geraldo getting hit with a fucking chair you know <laughs> um god what a great moment that was i found Perfect an interview moment. with blaze that sheds more light on this incident and what came after because this incident really like you could draw a direct line from this to jerry springer um, i'm sorry what helped, year was this again this is 1983 83 starts okay. in 91 Okay. Um, so, and this is really like uh, this 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 chunk I'm going to read is interesting because it gives you it gives you a sense of the way in which Wally is helping to give birth to not just the cultural space that guys like Jerry Springer occupy, but like what reality TV becomes. Um, so this is him. This is Blaze talking about what happened after he flips that desk and gets escorted off by security. Quote, he called me, this had to be 1983, and asked if I could come on his program. It was right during Reagan's war in Grenada. In a phone conversation, he seemed just delightful. I was in the background listening to his interviews just before me, a Mexican-American attorney, and Wally was just insulting him with racial slurs and so on, and I was quite irritated just hearing him operate. When it was my turn, I went to the interview, and he had a large group of young people in the audience, and just as he was getting started, I turned towards the audience and I said, I hope you won't go and die as the enemy in a place like Grenada where you're not wanted. He got a little upset when I made that comment. He came over and assaulted me and battered me. He attacked me from behind. It was a little difficult for a long-standing boxer to not respond, but I thought that would be a terrible thing to do. So I looked at his desk, and I saw there was no one near it and no one that would be harmed, so I just flipped the desk over and walked out. I came home, and I told my wife and children how surprised I was, and within moments we saw it on ABC, CBS, NBC. It was all over the country. I think that particular episode has been played a thousand times across the country. I still see it. It's amazing how it made an impact on TV. There was no staging, however. After the security men ushered me to my car, I went home, and the following morning, Wally called me and said, Blaze, we have a terrific thing going here. We can do this all over the country. I said, Wally, you're a charlatan, and there will be no further interviews. Thank you. You see, like, Wally doesn't believe in shit. No, yeah. Wally is just like, yeah, I'll bring this guy. Like, I want him to throw shit. I want to, like, this is great TV. So that's more of the thing that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. last episode where it's like is he yeah. genuinely getting pulled in this direction or is he getting pulled in this direction because like this is make this makes good tv and yeah that's yeah, like the I, guiding light of a lot of these chuds is that they don't actually believe in a lot of things no if anything no, they at all just b- believe in whatever gets them the money gets them yeah. the attention i think joe pine might have believed in things he certainly fought for something at one point um i wally clearly doesn't like he's just yeah. happy to like yeah um, like he called so him the next day like it was a pro wrestling match. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> like yeah, we can do this all over. And this we can is turn the, the country. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Joe Pine is like not a good person, not no. a nice person. No. Pretty racist and, and bigoted, I'm sure, in a lot of ways. Although I, I doubt excessively for his time, um, which is not saying anything good about him. It's talking about like the <laughs> white dudes in the 1960s, of his generation yeah. were pretty fucking racist. But um, 
I don't think I wouldn't qualify him as a bastard based on like the things he intentionally did. Once we're at Wally George, we're we're in like the like full bastard territory. Like sweet, because Joe Pine is a guy who's like willing to do things and like judge up judge up controversy, but also can listen to people and and like has something he believes in um, and is trying to get across. With Wally George, it is pure. I'm into this right wing shit just for the because it's what it gets the rage views. It gets people angry, gets people riled up. I don't care who I have on. I want folks to fight. I just want to like tickle people's amygdala and make them angry. You does know, he, does he like, start selling brain pills, Robert? No, no, he oh, does not. Shit. Not to my well, I don't know. Maybe I I, I can't comprehensively <laughs> say he never sold brain pills. Um, I, I I'm I cannot make that claim to a point of certainty, Tom. I was going to get but so excited, but showed up later. That that like Alex Jones and like a lot of the folks who came after Wally George built an audience that was cult like in its devotion. By 1984, an audience of mostly college age men were waiting up to six months for their chance to sit in his 80 person studio audience. People would like sign up for this shit way ahead of time. They'd shout Wally, Wally, and wear shirts with American flags on them, roaring until he forced them to stop. Where Joe Pine could be mocking and even cruel, as long as he maintained an air of genteel politeness, Wally George was free to scream, shout, and even strike people. He told one interviewer in 1984, they say that I'm a lunatic, that I'm a maniac, but why do you have to smile at your guests and be nice and let them say what they want to say? In this, Wally completed the transition from Joe Pine, a right-wing firebrand whose work was still firmly rooted in the outward civility of the 1950s, to modern right-wing media. Wally would not sit and listen to, for example, a trans woman explaining her life. He had no interest in letting guests say their piece. The central conceit of his show was that left-leaning guests would be allowed to show up and try to make an argument while Wally and his audience harassed and insulted them. I want to play this segment from his show where he has a popular radio DJ on. The DJ brings U2 albums to hand out to the audience. It was 1984. <laughs> and he chastises yeah, <laughs> and he chastises Wally for having previously claimed that the band were devil worshippers, which is an argument Wally George made a number of times. Here's Wally's reply. <laughs> you said U2 a bunch of devil worshippers. They are. They're terrible. No, they're Christians. Three of the four they're Christians. You're saying I'm wrong? You're wrong. <laughs> Oh my oh, God! I mean, that's what he looks like. Yeah. I don't want any proof. Because <laughs> he looks like Ric Flair Absolutely. with a Prince Valiant haircut. <laughs> we're getting, we're getting beyond oh, the issues. Oh, he looks incredible. It's like Colonel now. Sanders vibes at the stations. same time. He does. He looks like Colonel right. Sanders. Now the FCC uh, guru. is cracking down on what they call <laughs> like his yes. spiritual advisor. Shock radio. And I say it's about time. I say the FCC should crack down. There's a lot of nonsense, a, a lot of, of really filth and sexual innuendo that little kids are listening to. And I say it's about time that the FCC crack down on these filthy radio stations. All right, all right. That's enough of this clip. <laughs> so... First off, he looks incredible. He looks incredible. <laughs> yeah, he, is, he, he looks. <laughs> the he amazing looks, thing about Wally George he looks like a is carnival you, magician. You you watch. <laughs> he looks like a guy that ties balloon animals. <laughs> he looks amazing. You watch, <laughs> 
<laughs> you watched 30 seconds of Wally George and every <laughs> fake media figure from a Paul Verhoeven movie in the yes. 1990s suddenly make because they're all him. They're all Wally George, like every media figure that like got mocked in one of those like surreal 90s movies is fucking Wally George. Like, he looks like Julian Sands as a TV preacher. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like if Julian Assange was a warlock. Like, yes. Yes. <laughs> if, if a vampire bits Julian Assange's neck, he would turn this into is what Wally he would turn George. Into. Yeah. It's incredible. He's in, for those of you who aren't going to look at the picture, he has like shoulder length white hair yeah. that can't be real, cannot it's so, be real. It's I, it's either a wig or like so flat ironed that it mm-hmm. just lays yeah. there. Like and he's his... got a white suit. He looks like Mr. White from the Venture Brothers, but not an albino. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> it's just an amazing, amazing commitment to a very specific aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, this is my thing, and I'm just going to yeah. blunt force it on I people. I am the 1980s. A third of my body weight is cocaine. It's, he's, yeah, he does. He looks like mm. somebody, like, he looks like the shredder dumped mutagen on a pile of cocaine. <laughs> yeah. And, like, that's if the creature If cocaine was that a man, that's yeah. Wally George. Yeah, if it mutated. So, Tom. It's, yeah. <laughs> Here's him talking to Larry Rice, a same-sex marriage advocate and an AIDS awareness activist. Oh, boy. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> A gay pride parade. I say, I say it, is, it is very offensive. It is very offensive for gays to be running around uh, groping each other in the park. What do you think about that? I don't think it's very fair for you to make fun of people whose whose lifestyle is, is not the way you want it to be. And I think it's... Oh, really? I, I think it's kind of sad, you know, because, like, they don't hurt you, what they do, and, you know... I just think walking it's down offensive, you stupid netwit. It's offensive, yeah. isn't it? And you're offensive. I'll tell you what, because people like you, you're the people that cause the problem. in this world, okay, because of people like you. And I think... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is, wait a minute. This is very because upsetting. I think that yeah. because you people it's... make it so hard for them to live that they have a lot of, like, mental disorders and things. Oh. All right, that's probably about enough of that. He's... Uh, it's... Man, if you guys listening can it's stomach rough. looking up this clip it's it's, it's a it's nightmare rough. it keeps yeah, cutting it's his, horrible his audience and they're just like like huge grins it's clearly and nothing jeering. but high school bullies yeah. like screaming like and this guy is just he's saying it's like, horrible he's just trying to get his point out and he's saying like this these completely rational things mm-hmm. oh my god but it's also one of, there's a couple of things that are interesting comparing him to joe pine number one you can think back to joe pine who again i'm certain held very regressive views on on gay people 
but asking with genuine interest, oh, so someone who is a who is a transvestite isn't necessarily a homosexual. Oh, that's interesting to me, as opposed to Wally George, who just starts screaming at how offensive like the thought of a gay person existing is. Yeah, like, with his with his flaxen shoulder length yeah. hair and long sleeve <laughs> turtleneck with a blazer on, <laughs> yeah. and he's screaming about how a gay pride parade is offensive. I'm like, has yeah. Roger Stone vibes. Too. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> has yes, some stones. He does. I'm he sure Roger he Stone like watched this show. That Roger Stone would wear, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. He does look like a disguise. It's just yeah. Roger, like Roger Stone, Stone would wear in a Bond villain wig. To, yeah. Um, and the other thing that's different is that you know Joe Pine uh, can, could be. We played him being very rude to some people, yeah. but also they were all people who could go toe to toe with him rhetorically. Like Krasner, you know, obviously he didn't respect Krasner. Krasner's media trained. Krasner was ready he, for he what he got. You know, he, got, he yeah. gave as good as he got. This poor man, Larry Rice. Nothing against him because he's saying very reasonable things. He's clearly not media trained. Not read. He's not. No. He's not. And he's so. That's nothing see, against him. Yeah. The clip is so upsetting because you can see it's, very it's like. Upsetting. It's part of why it's part of like the bad faith of like debate me because the yeah. tactic is just to keep shouting at you uh, these things to keep you off topic. And it's like not only is this guy battling this overbearing dipshit of a host, but the entire audience is jeering at him the whole time. Yeah. So like I can't imagine being in that like even if you no. are media trained, like even if you are media trained, being in that no, situation is like Jesus, like I can't. No. I can't find yeah. footing to even make my argument. No one can do well in that kind of an environment. But no. And it, it's again, it's one of those things. I do think that like Joe Pine was someone who did want to debate people and would debate people and would go out of his way to get people who he who who could present themselves well on television, even if what they were saying was like and I, I, I'm not going to say that maybe this was comprehensively true of everything he did. But all of Wally George is like this. It is nothing but but this. It is it's just so hate. I want to yeah. point out that his little turtleneck matched the wallpaper of his set. It did. It sure <laughs> did. And he's, he's got he's got a little behind him is a framed photo yeah. of a of a of a space shuttle taking off. It just says USA mm. at the bottom. Yeah. It sure does. So his set is like a little boy's room. <laughs> it is. And it's I, I keep bringing up Joe Pine it, like positively not to say nice things about Joe Pine. And please don't take this as like me trying to defend his legacy, but to point like how badly things have degenerated like how 16, 17 years dark later. the difference. Yeah, I'm sitting here yeah. trying to think of like, man, what happened? And, you know, a lot of things yeah. happened. Reagan, between, for one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In between <laughs> 1970 and 1984. The religious right became a political block, which it wasn't when um when Joe Pine was on the air. The religious right was not a political block. That didn't happen mm. until 79. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's a very bleak, but very clear. He's also slide downhill. He's proto 700 club, too. Just the way he yeah. looks, the way he looks. Well, I don't know if he was proto. When did the 700 club stop? Uh, that's true. Solid radio. We're going to Google this. <laughs> yeah. 1966. So he's Fuck. not proto the 70, the 700 club. I'll, I got to give you that. All right. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but Tom, you know what did come before the 700 club and we'll be there long after. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, are, are you going to tell me? The products and services, Tom, that support this podcast. Mm, yep. Wow. Solid, solid throw to add, man. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. 
And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we're back, <laughs> and we're, we're, we're not better than ever. We, no. we just are continually sliding downhill. No, we're not um, even we're not even better than Ezra at this point. No, we're not. No. <laughs> now, Tom. Yeah. So let's talk some more about that horrific interview um, with Larry Rice. That really uh, upset me. <laughs> yeah, it's really upsetting. It's hard it's to very watch. Ab- and again, <laughs> yeah. it's the kind of thing like 
you just didn't feel that way listening to the Joe Pine clips, even when he was being a shithead. Yeah, it's not that kind of a well. Bully. It's it's the it's it's frighteningly close to a lynch mob. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the, if he'd ordered them, they would have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really alarming. It's it's a it's yeah. a very upsetting clip to watch. It's really fucked up. Yeah, it's fucked, uh, and it gets a lot worse. And he's dressed um, like, a wanna... clown, <laughs> he's dressed so like, like a fucking clown too. So it's like like this the guy. Joker on vacation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking Wally George. That's a clown name. That's a clown yeah. shoe name. Wally. Motherfucker. So he goes on in that interview to say, here in the United States, we don't want perverts marrying each other. And then when they start discussing AIDS prevention, he tells Larry, I don't want these gay AIDS carriers to spread their disease to all of us heterosexuals. People like you were spitting at me. I could catch AIDS from you. Just a mountain of shit dressed mm. in a terrible suit mm-hmm. now when it comes to evaluating the appeal and the impact of wally george i think this passage from that timeline article uh does about the best job possible quote hot seat commodified old white man anger and gave it room to fester george's fury was the entire point it gave audiences permission to act out their basest impulses during the conservative reagan era the allure of the show was merely having an outlet for anger period it was a contractual yelling match with the viewers invited yep uh, yep that, uh, that makes yep. sense yeah <laughs> kind of feel all, like that uh it all ties together seems relevant <laughs> mm-hmm. um Gosh, now, somebody, somebody else uh, really rose to prominence in the 80s. Gosh, who was that? Major, I mean, there's Don Imus and Howard Stern. Imus is a big one. Major media no. figure. Oh, I'm being oh, facetious. Oh, oh, Rush Limbaugh, yeah. <laughs> Limbaugh. Uh, Trump. Uh, yeah, Trump. Yeah, this is this is this is the era they're all. This is, this is all where all all of them dickheads came from. Mm, all those pe- real pieces of shit. <laughs> um, now, during his rise to prominence, as we stated, there were a number of dudes inhabiting a similar field. Rush Limbaugh gets on the radio a year later. Don Imus and Howard Stern, who are less offensive figures, not much less in the case of Don Imus, are starting around this period. But the fact that Wally George worked most prominent. Worked most prominently on TV, uh, giving his viewers and live audiences an outlet to vent their rage and frustration on human beings made them made him unique in his 19. Again, it's it's like half a lynch mob and that's half of mm-hmm. the appeal. To yeah. What Wally George does. Yeah. It's in clear. his 1999 autobiography, he coined the phrase combat TV to describe the thing that he invented. And now that's like all news programs. Um, yeah. It's just bleak. One of Wally's most popular guests was a special piece of shit named Tom Metzger, the head of a Nazi organization called White Aryan Resistance. I suppose you could critique him as, as, as again, like Joe Pine platforming a Nazi, and uh, he is kind of doing that. But Wally, I don't know. Wally can't be certainly can't be accused of equivocating on Nazism because I'm going to play you a clip of that next. All across this great country now in our 11th year, and we have the putrid idiot Tom Metzger. Now he's dressed like a Batman villain. about to say before we went to our our break some of you don't know what tom metzger has been involved in i'm going to go back to that case up in oregon where some of tom metzger's followers went up to oregon and they beat a black man to death with don't you applaud that you idiot they they beat this black man to death with baseball bats Followers of Tom Metzger. These are, you see, he sits there with that. He sits 
sits there with that smug little grin on his face because he doesn't get his hands bloody. He, he sends out, wait, he sends out his henchmen and his followers to do his dirty work for him. All right, all right, all right. So it's very, it's very, very telling that he had to yeah. tell somebody in the audience yep. to stop clapping. Yep. <laughs> That's exactly right, Tom. That's what I was going to point out because he is certainly not in like to, to the extent that he platforms Metzger, he's mostly screaming at him. Yeah. Um, but you can see again where things have gone that like yeah, he has to stop his audience of, from yeah, clapping the at the kind murder of horseshit of that you're encouraging yeah, is yeah. bringing these people in, Wally. <laughs> like it's fascinating, but it's also yeah. there's something so bleak about that too because there are a lot of mostly horrible things you can say about Wally, and I'm sure Tom went on his show because he saw it as a platform. But Wally never for a second pretended that this guy needed to be heard out. He just had him on to scream at him, um, which, again, as bad as Wally George is, makes him better than a lot of right wing media today. Like even it's even gone hill downhill since Wally George is the point I'm making. Not trying Jeez. to like praise Wally George, yeah. but it's like the bar has lowered have, like, even more than this cesspool. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. Maybe like if fucking Richard Spencer, he would have heard out. I don't know. I don't he didn't often hear people out. So I don't know that he would have invited anyone on that he couldn't have just screamed at mm-hmm. um but but yeah it's um it's a little bleak um that said uh he was very happy to capitalize off the outrage that bringing a guy like metzger on generated and i certainly sure. don't want to be praising him for yelling at tom metzger he's doing it to make money uh, i want to quote from an article on wally by oc weekly uh the orange county which is for those of you who do not know the, like the, the Republican, one of the, the biggest Republican stronghold in California, pretty much. What made those hot seat appearances by Metzger in the 1980s and 90s so relevant was just how clearly the lines between good and evil were drawn. George wore the white hat, literally, and Metzger was the bad guy. There was no gray to be found, and the audience reaction corroborated those roles. George's last interview with Metzger was around 1992, against the backdrop of that year's L.A. riots, and George absolutely laid into Metzger. George repeatedly scolded Metzger for being un-American and referred to war as a bunch of dumb Nazis. George kicked Metzger off his stage after an unprecedented but understandable four minutes. It was a proud moment for Orange County conservatism as, embodied by George, it stood up to the emblematic scourge of white supremacy. And obviously, I don't particularly agree with that take, but it's interesting that like this modern OC conservative writer is looking back at Wally George and be like, remember when we yelled at Nazis? Yeah. As opposed to marching with them in the streets. Like, I'm not trying to say that this guy's right, because this is, shouldn't be a proud moment for conservatism. Because no. also, he, he brought him on his fucking show. Um, Several but times. But it's interesting to me that this this guy looking at, like, because he's I'm sure he's referring to, like, these mobs you've had, like, attacking vaccine sites and fucking Wee Spa and whatnot in L.A., um, some of which include fucking Nazis. And he's like, oh, remember when we used to at least yell at Nazis? Yeah. Um, it's It's bleak. Wally filmed his show in Orange County, and he was a local institution, and incredibly influential to the combative form of conservatism that exists in that enclave to this day. But as the author of that article points out, modern OC conservatives, though very much the descendants of Wally George, often lack his very minimal ethical convictions. Quote, prescient of what occurred in Charlottesville and Trump's reaction to it, the 1992 interview with Metzger captured a moment in time when conservative Republicans rallied openly against white supremacy and the Nazis. Watching that episode, it is equal parts antiquated and Orwellian, with George orchestrating an audience full of young, mostly white, conservative Orange County men and fomenting and rallying viciously against Metzger and what he stood for. To riff on Trump's own axiom, George made it clear that there were not very fine people on both sides. In a fitting end of the segment, George stood up behind his 
his desk and led his audience in a recitation of the Pledge of Allegiance, with particular vocal emphasis on the last line, with liberty and justice for all. He then expanded on that theme to his audience as he looked deploringly at Metzger, reminding him the phrase meant to encompass all races, all religions, and all creeds. And yeah, it's uh, it's bleak. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I feel like George Wally's, old Wally's the kind of dude that would have this guy on to scream at him, not because he really personally finds his politics all that distasteful. because no, I don't think he cares about any, I don't think, no. he, I, I'm sure he finds the, because I don't think he cares about politics much. No, it was just a one, I don't know, it was just a thing, a situ- creating a situation where he could be the good guy. Yeah. Uh, and generate, you know, ratings for his TV show. I don't know. I, I, I refuse to applaud him for any Part no, of no, this. no. And I'm not <laughs> quoting this to applaud him. I'm quoting this because it's interesting to see someone writing from that perspective of an yeah. Orange County conservative going. No, yeah. Remember for... when we when we didn't like Nazis? Yeah, remember when <laughs> yeah. we remember when we had at least that line that at we wouldn't cross? Like, and when you're looking back at Wally George, and yeah, like, oh, remember like, oh, those high old moral days. standards when like, we believed in things. And there's this guy <laughs> that like calls a dude yeah. who flipped his desk over the next day, be like, "We should tour the country with this." Yeah, like, we should tour the country. Believe in anything? He believes in. He doesn't believe in a goddamn thing. Um, Now, it is unclear to me whether or not Wally George, living in the modern era, would have fully embraced the the white nationalist authoritarian politics that have since devoured the GOP. I suspect so in a way that I don't know if Joe Pine would have, as as racist as I'm sure Joe Pine was. Well, Joe Um, Pine at least was in World War II. Like, I think he he might fight Nazis. Right. He might brush up against that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I think if he saw a dude with a swastika flag in a march, he'd be like, well, fuck those guys. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever's happening over there. Whatever's happening over there. I don't like that flag. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's, I I don't know. I can't say what Wally would have done clearly. Um, But if we're to judge. Purely off his TV appearances, maybe no. If we were to judge what we know about him morally, probably yes. He he seems Uh, cut from the same grifter cloth, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Wally is, it's worth noting, one of the very first conservative political voices to use a phrase that has since become infamous. We must make America great again. Wally said this regularly on his show throughout the 1980s and early 1990s. Alongside Rush Limbaugh, he also popularized phrases like liberal lunatics, calling his detractors strippers, mud wrestlers, and bimbos of all sizes and shapes. By the 1990s, Hot Seat was no longer close to unique. Jerry Springer and Rush Limbaugh had both entered TV by then. Rush's foray didn't last long, but in 1996, Fox News started uh, up and provided a much more respectable venue for far-right hate speech. Meanwhile, Jerry Springer delivered a gleefully apolitical approach to combat television that more people found appealing than Wally's right-wing rants. The fact that Springer himself was a much more pleasant person than Wally (laughs) George may have had something to do with this. In 1995, George's wife left him in the least surprising turn of all time. Aw, want want. She took their seven-year-old daughter with her. Thank God. (laughs) Jesus Christ, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We do not know how many times Wally was married. Uh, At least four. Some sources say as many as six times. sweet. I like that it's like a fucking legend. Like, we don't know. It's like, we don't really know how many times this guy got married. Of course, that fucking Crip Keeper-looking dude, we don't know. Yeah. Don't know how many wives he's got locked in a yeah, closet like Bluebeard. Wives survived. <laughs> right, like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wally had several kids, but he was not really a father to any of them. Like he would have kids, but he was no one's father. I think oh, it's fair to say. Man, judging by his his set, I thought he would have delighted in having little kids. Yeah, yeah having a little kid around. To you guys into rocket ships <laughs> and blue turtlenecks. <laughs> um, his most 
prominent child, Tom, was the actress Rebecca De Mornay. Um, no that's shit. His daughter. Yeah, that's his daughter, Wally George's daughter. Tell us about Rebecca De Mornay. Oh, they have kind of the same hair. Like you can see mm-hmm. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, that's that's fucked up. I mean, <laughs> I mean, she's up? in Hand That Rocks a Cradle. She's in the that the Sweet Three Musketeers. You know, the Disney one with with Oliver Platt and Charlie Sheen and yep. Keith Sutherland. Um, she's in that TV version of The Shining. She is in that TV version of The yeah. Shining, Tom. That's a uh, Man, that just shattered my entire universe. <laughs> yeah, you didn't expect that, did, did you, Did not Tom? expect that Didn't twist. expect to learn that today, did you? <laughs> was she the... No, uh, that, that's too late. I was going to say, was she the one right. that, the, that the wife took? But no, she was our... Rebecca DeVorne was already in movies at that point. Um, yeah, I think she was. Yeah, yeah, no, he was just having kids and abandoning them left God and right, damn. Tom. You know who else has kids and abandons them? Uh, the... Person, the sponsors are responsible for these delightful <laughs> Abs- products absolutely. and services. Not a single one of them, not a single one of them raised their own kids. Well, are. that's going to help us get sponsors, Robert. Thank Good you, job. Sophie. Thank you. You're what? great. Yeah. I- Ta- Sophie, look, I think some people, you know, like to like raise their kids in a loving environment. And some people like the song A Boy Named Sue and think that that's a good way to raise a kid. And both options are equally respectable. And what does that have to do with our sponsors? Well, if you can abandon your kids as long as you name them Sue, it's fine. Mm-hmm. As the song shows, they'll turn out okay. We'll also accept, they'll learn how to fight. <laughs> we'll also accept Ramblin' Man. Ramblin' Man, sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Great, great child rearing advice in Ramblin' yeah. Man. Mm-hmm. All wow. right. Well, that's going to lead us to ads. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper 
into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back, and we're all just silently appreciating the song A Boy Named Sue, mm-hmm. which again contains all of the parenting lessons anyone listening to this will ever need to know. Certainly anyone we're talking about will need certainly ever, ever observed. <laughs> so, <clears throat> Rebecca De Mornay, am I saying her name right? As far as I know. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, you know who she is, obviously. Uh, yeah. um, what's she in? What, what's, her, what's her big shit? I just rattled. Are you serious? I just rattled oh, them wait, all Tom. off. Okay, well, my brain doesn't work, Tom. Hand that rocks the cradle is probably your biggest thing, right? Hand that rocks the cradle. I'm sorry, I'm on, uh, I'm on drugs. Um, and I, it's more that I've, I'm most mostly sober now. It's more that I was on drugs for 13 straight years. Um, mm-hmm. so my memory doesn't do so great. Yeah, I, I mean, remember you, that. You knew me during. Yeah, my, I remember that. My, my <laughs> I was there. Smoking days. Yeah, you were there for some there. of that. That night, I, <laughs> I gave everybody way too much. The night you put Dave in the hospital, they were hallucinating. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, Dave Dave decided the hospital was the right place to be at that point. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I haven't been able to watch uh, uh, Back to the Future since. We were coming up during that when we realized we had grossly misjudged the amount of pockets <laughs> we had taken. <laughs> we fucked up the uh, dosage by a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, it was something like 60, 60 doses or so. Um, so his most prominent child was the actress, Rebecca de Mornay, who f- fucking hated Wally George. He, that's, that's she good like to know. publicly attacked him and Wally blasted her in interviews as bitter, twisted and out to ruin me. I found an old LA times article that provides more context to Wally during the downswing of his career. You know, she's my daughter, don't you? Asks George. He can't help basking in the reflected glory of her celebrity status, even while conceding that she grew up in England without knowing him and wants nothing to do with him now. Mm. What really bothers bothers me more than anything is that she's given interviews saying I never tried to contact her until after she became a star. It's not true. I embarrass her. She hangs out with left-wing actors like Robert De Niro and Jack Nicholson and Harry Dean Stanton. They don't like me because I've bad-mouthed Hollywood. They've convinced her I'm bad for her career. I just love that that, that trifecta. It's like Robert De Niro. Um, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton. <laughs> 
famed leftists all. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it's very funny. Just um, in fact, yeah. Sorry, just laughing um, at that. Yeah, it's, it's very funny. And it, it's one of those things, like, probably nothing would have maybe saved his career more than if he'd actually, like, made up with his daughter and, like, done a big TV special about it. Um, but she never gave into that shit. Like, that's clearly what he wanted was some kind of, like, big public you know, for show wreck. I, he obviously didn't give a shit about her. He abandoned no, her. No, I'm sure. But I'm sure once she but was he very famous, he wanted her thing. on his yeah. TV show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, by the mid 1990s, George's audience was too small for the Nielsen company to rate, which means it reached less than 24,000 households in the Los Angeles area. As a result, in order to chase notoriety and attention, he was forced to find weirder and weirder guests for hot seat. One frequent attendee was Odorous Urungus, the lead singer for Guar. Odorous okay. loved <laughs> Tom turns his head. Odorous loved Wally, telling one interviewer, "Honestly, of all the talk shows, we've been on everything from Springer to Joan Rivers to Jimmy Fallon. It was our favorite one. That cheesy little public access show with that weirdo Wally George. He kicked ass on all of those other multimillion-dollar fucking Hollywood TV creation constructed human being. Yuck! Those people really made me sick. Yeah, fucking Guar. I mean, I get why a man who dresses up as a monster for a living would enjoy being on Wally George's show." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was their um, whole thing. They just wanted to offend people and shock yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get why Wally George and him hit it off. Dexter Holland, lead singer of The Ox Offspring, was also a guest on The Wally George Show and described it as punk, which I do think gets at something important. For many of his young fans, especially, the appeal wasn't that Wally was right wing. It was the rock because they weren't I mean, it wasn't that they didn't hate right wingers. They weren't left wing. They just didn't care about politics. They liked that he was raucous, violent and unhinged. And they liked that as members of his live audience, they could be raucous, violent and unhinged. They mm -hmm. could scream and shout at people and threaten them. And sometimes he would get into fucking fights on the show. And there's more than a little Wally George in the alt rights DNA. Like, I don't care as much about the politics that I'm claiming as I do about getting to a offend you you know that's mm -hmm. wally george and that's a big part of modern conservatism now other regular guests who sparred with wally expressed a belief that he was not really conservative he was a showman first and foremost and would happily platform anyone fringe enough to be entertaining still there was more than a hint of lynch mob to wally's audience nicholas shrek lead singer of the of radio werewolf recalled it was like Wally was a microcosm of Hollywood taking over politics. In a way, it could seem harmless or like it was just a joke. But when we were actually in the studio and Wally was presenting me as a scapegoat for all societal ills, the audience was whipped into a genuine frenzy. They did not take it as a joke, and it felt very dangerous to be there. It's easy to think he was a humorous phenomenon, but it was part of the whole. There was a very violent craziness to the 80s that I don't think Americans can remember exactly how it was. I went to a Ronald Reagan rally in 1984, and I sensed that same inherent violence. You know the novel Lord of the Flies? It reminded me of that. Yep. There's feels, a lot in there. Feels yeah. a little relevant, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Nicholas Shrek, on to something there. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Yeah, like I said, that's one of the main things about watching that clip that was so yeah. uh, unpleasant and upsetting is, is, yeah. is how close it is to a lynch mob. It's just, mm -hmm. like, he's a big goofball. Like, we had a lot of fun talking yeah. about how ridiculous he looks, but, like... Yeah. 
That is a frightening. There's no joke situation. about that audience. Yeah, that is. There's that is nothing is, funny about no, that audience. No, absolutely not. No, that I have, I have, I have gone toe to toe with more or less that audience in the street with a bunch of weapons on their side. It's the same fucking people. Well, it's and very, the same motivation. It's, it's. Oh man, it's so, it's so parallel to like Trump because like Trump mm-hmm. himself, the man is a big stupid idiot that's ridiculous looking, and you can just look yeah, at him. Yeah, could have like, just as easily been a Democrat if that had been the easy way to get what he wanted. Yeah, yeah. Just look at that big stupid asshole. But then you look at the crowds that follow and be like oh there's nothing funny about that like no, it's this is not at all humorous no it's just scary wally's health started to fall apart in the early 1990s no and by 19 <laughs> i know tom this is really gonna break your heart oh, brace no, yourself here no. mm, don't tell me i can't take it <laughs> By 1993, he had to quit recording new episodes of his show. But since Hot Seat had been daily for like a decade, the show stayed in reruns for another decade, and Wally would regularly record new introductions and conclusions to various best-of episodes. He died in 2003 of pneumonia. Hmm. So, we have a lot to thank cigarettes and pneumonia for, but none of them work fast enough. Yep, Satan called home another angel, another one of his glorious (laughs) angels. (laughs) Speaking of Satan's angels, Tom, Mm -hmm. you got any pluggables to plug? (laughs) That's the end? (laughs) (laughs) That's the end of part two. We got a, we got a, we got a, we got, we got one more. We got one more in the chamber. Oh, okay. It all ran a little longer. Oh, shit. All right. Well, yeah. um, I run a podcast network with uh, my buddy David Bell. Uh, We we worked at Crack together. Uh, If you want to head over to patreon.com slash gameplayunemployed, you can uh, support our network. We do a bunch of free podcasts. We also do a bunch of exclusive podcasts just for patrons like uh, Fox Motors, Maniac, Tom and Jeff, Watch Batman, and Star Trek Next Futurama. So check that out if you would, please. Yeah, assholes. Do it. Yeah, you're gonna do not do it. I'm sorry. I love you all. Anyway, the episode's (laughs) over. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., 
We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.